Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast that takes an in-depth look at the films of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today we're going back to 2006 and taking a look at Dolph's second turn as a director, The Mechanic, retitled The Russian Specialist upon its North American release. In this blood-soaked tale of revenge, Dolph takes on the writing, directing, and starring duties where he plays Nikolai Cherenko, a former Spetsnaz operative who flees Russia and hides out in Los Angeles working illegally as a mechanic after he takes vengeance on the mobsters who senselessly killed his family in a drug feud. Yet when a wealthy benefactor hires Nikolai to find her kidnapped daughter, Nikolai discovers that the horrors of his past are far from over, and he has some unfinished business to see through. Nikolai Cherenko, Russian Special Forces. Moved to America seven years ago, illegally. Mr. Cherenko, we're willing to offer you $500,000. I needed to find her and bring her back to me. I'm a mechanic. I fix cars. Take you home. Get your gun. Get your hands up, buddy! Always dead. What's the plan? Kill them all. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me once again for a fifth round is my buddy Brenton Hasem from the website All Out of Bubblegum. Brenton, thanks for coming back, man. Hey, no problem. I love it. Well, love coming. <laughs> it's funny because I figured you have been on enough of the episodes uh, discussing his bad films that it only makes sense that we discuss one of his best films. So, uh, so, so thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'm actually pretty excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, I'll just go to it right now. I'll kind of get to my, I'll get my recommendation out of the way right now. This is, I would say, one of Dolph's best movies. I mean, I would easily put this up there 
in his top five. And there's there's quite a few uh, things about this film that make it stand out and that make it so exceptional, which we're going to be getting into. But um, easily for me, this is one of his top five. Would you agree? Well, you know, it's got to be if there there is something special about this one. And it isn't just because he wrote and directed it. Well, actually, it probably is because of that. But it is just like this is very much a like a pure adult film, especially if you arrived or got interested in him during his DTV era. This is kind of like the ultimate of those movies, really. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mention that. I like the fact that you said this is the ultimate Dolph Lundgren film because, yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, this is, I mean, there's a few films of to someone who, uh, to the uninitiated who maybe does not know a heck of a lot about him or about his career, there's a handful of films that I would probably pick out and give that person to kind of give that person a a well-rounded glossed view of uh of the man and his career and easily the russian specialist is within that batch of uh films that i would that i would pull out yeah well it's god it's just one of those movies it's so he doesn't it's it's a film where he doesn't play i I guess he doesn't play that like american hero type and there's something to me like i didn't come in like a lot of people came in at rocky four and for me it was it wasn't that first for me and so this movie, it, it sort of exemplifies sort of how I see Dolph. It's just not exactly a hero, but not exactly a villain either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you completely. And, you know, and before we, before we really um, dive into this film and take a look at um, the, the genesis of it, as well as uh, just, you know, kind of going through the film scene by scene, um, we should probably let everybody know that we are once again uh, partaking in a beverage uh, for this particular film. And you had the great idea. It was, it was funny because as you and I were prepping for this, I was thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to thinking about trying something new. Um, and then we kind of had the idea of, well, Lundgren plays a Russian. He plays a Russian badass in this film. And it only makes sense that we find something Russian, a nice Russian beer. And for the life of me, I had the, the most difficult time trying to find something Russian. Then I started thinking, well, maybe I can find something Swedish as well. Um, that really, <laughs> that didn't work out, but yeah, you directed me to, I'm drinking one now as, as I'm assuming you are an old Rasputin. This is a, uh, this is a cool beer, man. Yeah. Russian Imperial stout. So uh, if you're, if you're like me, you have the bottle there and you're looking yep. at the logo and it's got yep. Russian around it. Um, yep. so I get this and I didn't know this, but my wife tells me this, I guess there's a phrase around there and that's the Russian. And she's saying like sincere friends don't come easily. Something like along those lines is the, the translation. Yeah. Well, and I think this is, this is the perfect beer to accompany this film. Cause I would like to think whether it's Nikolai Cherenko, who is Dolph's character in this film, or whether <laughs> it's Dolph himself, I would like to think that, um, this would be the type of beer that he would be drinking. And I think Mr. Lundgren would be, uh, would be proud that we are partaking in a, a man's man Russian Imperial stout for <laughs> the Russian specialist. <laughs> hey, cheers to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this, Speaking of which, is how many times now? Is this only? Is this the fourth time he's played a Russian? Okay, so there are there are a few things that I think I told you when I was watching this. I texted you and I said, "Dude, I am noticing so much more about this film." But I believe this, and at this point in his career, this is the third time he played a Russian because we have Ivan Drago in Rocky Four, 
We have yeah. um, his character in Red Scorpion, but then he did not play a Russian again until this film. Is that right? Yeah, but you're also skipping over uh, his first appearance in A View to a Kill, where he's a Russian oh. bodyguard. The, the you're right, you're right. So this is cheers to that. There you go. No, <laughs> I'll yeah. take a drink to that. Yeah, you're right. This is the fourth one. So uh, okay, I'm taking a drink now to that one. I, I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm gonna do the same just because I'm happy that I, I I got one on you. You know. <laughs> you know when you, you when on. you. Yeah, when when somebody's a fan, it's like, oh man, you'll never get one on somebody. But I just How did. I got one. Yeah, Ven's <laughs> the Russian. Ven's the Russian in uh, in uh, View to a Kill. Um, well, you know, if we if we look at this particular film on some of the previous episodes, I've kind of unofficially coined this era of Dolph's films as kind of being uh, the quote unquote reawakening or the quote-unquote next waves. Um, I think we also referred to it in a previous episode as going back to basics. And I think there were there were a few things going on uh, within Dolph's career around this time. But I think, you know, while these films that he is doing around this period, while they are, yes, of the direct-to-video subgenre, I mean, I think you would agree, they all look so much better than a lot of the other direct-to-video stuff that he had been doing prior. And I think a lot of this is due to the fact that it is Dolph behind the wheel directing, okay? When he was just acting in these direct-to-video films, I mean, he was just a gun-for-hire acting. He was the face that they that the producers were using to kind of sell the product. Yeah. But because he is behind the camera, his name is attached to this on such a bigger level. And I think because of that, he's so much more invested. And while you know while it may not have the budget of a big high profile uh release uh Dolph makes sure that it is going to satisfy all fans regardless of those budgetary uh shortcomings oh yeah well he does things in this that you can see echoes of not just in all the DTV movies that came out around the time but look at uh like the uh the strip lounge whole section of the film that is straight up anticipating the neon lit, um, st- basically strip clubs of like John Wick, and, and this is stuff like you know there was always these kind of uh, the, there's always a strip club in in DTV films, action films, as as far as I remember. But man, I was like watching this, and I had not uh, seen this in about fifteen years. And, and I'm sitting there going, oh, this is just like John Wick. Yeah, and when if you look at John Wick as well, I mean, that's the other thing. I'm glad you brought that up because John Wick at its core is basically just a very simplistic revenge story. I mean, it's just a simple uh, revenge story. And I think that's what this is as well. You know, I mean, the yeah. story itself, the story of the Russian specialist, the mechanic, however you want to refer to it, it's, I mean, we can just say it right now and be honest, it's nothing really highly original. But I think Dolph is delivering a simplistic revenge story that is not going to pull any punches whatsoever. And, I mean, especially in terms of the violence, I would argue at this point in his career, this is some of the most violent stuff we've seen. But he does so in just a most glorious fashion. Yeah, well, I think uh, I, I don't want to, you know, spoil it right out the gate. But, man, that the final kill is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in one of these movie, kind of movies. So, Oh, yeah, but, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'll drink to that yeah. right now as well. Let's yeah. <laughs> but I love, um, I don't know if you want to just start it out, but 
I love that it is a movie that it kind of plays with the revenge idea because this is a guy that more or less gets his revenge right away in the movie, in terms of the movie. Right. And the movie plays on from there in a way that you don't see. You usually see the movies about the that act of revenge that that is basically I think the first ten minutes of the film. That's usually an entire DTV movie. But instead it's like, no, this is the this is just his backstory. His backstory was he got revenge and then he finds out he didn't quite complete his revenge later on. But it eventually has to, to do that. But that, and that's just not even, uh, that's not even the main focus of what he's doing. He, he, cause that was him being vengeful as a, as a, a shell of a person. He has to regain his humanity. And that's kind of his arc, even though you don't really, you don't really find out about him the entire movie. So I don't know. It, it has a twist on it. Well, you know, the, the, the backstory of the film is important to kind of note, because like I said, there were a few things that I noticed on my most recent viewing that I didn't notice beforehand, which I'm kind of kicking myself uh, for. Um, but apparently, as the story goes, Dolph had come off the film The Defender. He had just directed uh, the one, his, his directorial debut was the film De- The Defender, and he wanted to direct again after this particular experience. And so as the story goes, he went to New Image who he had already, you know, he had established a relation, uh, a relationship with, um, a new image obviously is now millennium films mm-hmm. and they agreed. They kind of said, okay, we'll do this film, but they agreed on a couple of uh, conditions and stipulations. Number one, Dolph had to film on one of their designated locations. And number two, Dolph had to craft a story that could successfully utilize these conditions. So, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I kind of have a theory about this. So Dolph goes to New Image with this idea. New Image gives him these stipulations and some could say limitations as well. So what does Dolph do? And I honestly think in crafting this story, Dolph had been, you know, he had been around the block and he had done quite a few movies at this point. So I think what Dolph was doing is he said, okay, I'm going to look at the successful aspects of my career that I can use and I can rework once again. Okay. So one of those is playing a Russian. I've played a Russian before and do it. Well, I'll play a Russian again. I think what he also decided to do is he said, okay, you know, the whole revenge motif is a motif that works and has been within film, you know, for, for centuries. Let's do that as well. Okay. So he has this character that is a Russian. He decides to kind of do a craft, a story uh, based around revenge. And here's where things get really, really cool for me. I don't know for you as well. The film is essentially Red Scorpion meets The Punisher. I don't know if you noticed that. No, it totally (laughs) is. You're right. And, okay, I don't know if you picked up on this either or not. And that's why I'm so glad this is a perfect fit for you uh, to do this one, because I know that you are a huge fan of uh, Red Scorpion. But I don't know if you picked up on this. So in Red Scorpion, his character's name is Nikolai Rachenko. Yes. And here in Russian Specialist, his name is Nikolai Cherenko. Yes, yeah. Lundgren switched around the R and the CH sound for these characters. <laughs> so, uh, I, gotta, I guess I got to admit that I knew his name was Nikolai, but I didn't know his last name. And now that I know that it's that close, that is ridiculous. Um, so, so in a way, this is so like an unofficial sequel. 
Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's almost it's almost way too on the nose. I, I gotta believe Dolph knew what he was doing. Yes, when he I believe you. Right? He knew yeah. what he was doing. Oh man, I think you nailed it. That's well, it has to be what he's doing. Exactly. And I like the fact that you said it could be an unofficial sequel to Red Scorpion. So I had this idea as well. If you want to go further with that whole idea, um, yeah, I think if you want, this story could be a continuation of Red Scorpion, where perhaps Nikolai has settled down and created a quiet, happy existence for himself. But <laughs> kind of like the character of John Rambo, his character is never going to be able to find peace. And yeah. his tortured past is going to catch up with him, and war and violence will always find him. That's that's kind of I, I kind of wonder if that's what Dolph was go, or was going for with this. Well, I so I don't know anything about like how to identify uh, metals and stuff, but they do show like within the first couple of minutes of the movie, they like pan across his uh, his metals. So maybe there's like Spetsnaz stuff in there that even furthers what what we're we're saying now, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I mean, okay, Nikolai Rachenko, Nikolai Cherenko, like, yeah. come on. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm buying it honestly. I I get it. I smell what you're stepping in, and I and I I agree. But as a, I mean, you got to be honest. As a fan, okay, if you're a casual viewer coming into this. Okay, you're gonna like it as a as a decent action movie, but if you're a fan of the big guy like you and I are, to see that and to draw those parallels, it just makes for such a cooler viewing experience. Yeah, you know what? The, the only thing that's missing is a scene where he gets a big ass machine gun and just mows down about fifty guys. <laughs> and the weapon that he chooses at the end is is interesting. I was gonna get your take on that. So, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of one of the, the big epiphanies that I had in this film. And like I said, also, he's using that revenge theme uh, that we've seen in countless films, but most notably The Punisher, because one of the big uh, character arcs of the character of The Punisher, especially of that film that he was in, is he sees his family killed before his eyes. And mm -hmm. so obviously sets out on a war path. And so, like I said, I think that when New Image kind of gave Dolph the creative control and freedom to kind of craft a story again within these kind of parameters, if you will, I think he decided, okay, you know what? Obviously, I'm not going to do this big, giant war epic that maybe he has always wanted to do, but he decided, okay, I'm going to go, again, back to basics, and I'm going to do something that I think works, that I think the, the fans of the big speed are going to like and appreciate. Yeah. Well, you know what's strange about that is that they didn't lean into it more. I wish they would have given him more because I think he knows what he's doing when you watch these, this movie. Oh, he's he's very – I mean, if you look at, uh, say, for example, the, the opening scenes of the film, um, the opening scenes, I mean, they're extremely well done. I mean, it gives a real sense of scale to the film. Also, especially for a direct-to-video film. I mean, we get some amazing aerial shots of Russia. I don't know if you picked up on any of this. I mean, it's just – I mean, he gives us just such beautiful photography throughout the film, but especially within that prologue. Well, I was surprised, you know, I, I assume you're talking about the second unit stuff that's, uh, you know, flying over the hills and the trees. Um, I actually did think about it quite a bit. Um, and it's one of those things, too. It's like the more movies you watch, the more you kind of notice that stuff. But he really does use a ton of that second unit stuff to really give you a feel for where they're at and, and whatnot. Plus, 
look at like his uh like he has a look for this film like it's not just like a big dude but he's got like this kind of uh like he looks thin but like you know he's 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 muscular and just kind of um I don't know, he's very, like, you can see his chin and his jaw. He, he really emphasizes that stuff. He knows what he looks like, and he really pushes it. Like, you know how many, so, so many shots of uh, profile. Here's my jawline. Here's this. Pointing at things. It's, uh, like, he knows, he knows what he's doing. He's, like, his, uh, his critique on anyone else who's ever directed him. He goes, look at me. This is how I look. Well, you know, and I've uh, discussed this in uh, previous episodes as well. I honestly think that within this reawakening phase of his career, the second phase, whatever you want to call it, he really decided at this point to kind of turn the trajectory, if you will, of his career. And I honestly think if you look at him from about a direct action onward, so direct action and retrograde in this film, I mean, he's always been in, in peak physical condition. But at this point in this film, he's much more lean than where he was mm-hmm. earlier. And yeah, you can certainly see like his cheekbones and his jaw is so much more defined. I mean, let's face it. I would love to have the physique of, of Dolph <laughs> circa yeah. 1994, 1995. Um, but if you look at him from, in this period from about 2004 to 2006, I mean, it is very evident that, uh, yeah, he decided to really change up his body type and like you said yeah i agree it's very evident in this film yeah that's that's it it's i mean and that's an obvious choice that's a director choice you know i want to look like this he's uh i don't know it's almost scary in a way like how he looks he does uh you know there's a scene later on where he where they they find it they the guy goes oh we're okay so he he tells uh ben cross's character um that he wants to know where the girl's going to And Ben Cross says, oh, he's at the, she's at, she's evidently going to be at this nightclub. And he, like a guy, like a bulldozer, he just goes immediately to the front door and starts shit. He, <laughs> he doesn't, yeah. like, there's no tactics, immediately starts shit. And I don't know, and that, and that, I think, plays into that image where it's just, it's stripped down, it's lean, is, the, is a good word for it, like you just use there, lean. And uh, that's how he looks, and that's how this movie is. Well, before we get further into the film, I, I have to know, as I, I always like to kind of go back. So, Brenton, I'm curious, your first time hearing about and watching this film, are you able to go back that far? Um, do you remember, and what was your reaction then uh, when, when you first <laughs> when you first caught the Russian specialist? Uh, I think I first heard about this about when it came out or when it was coming out. So this is one of the few movies that I knew he was going to direct it. I knew that he wrote it. And I was very curious to see it um, based on those merits. And so, uh, and I remember actually feeling, uh, well, I so said by this point also, we'd uh, seen a million DTV movies and several that he was in. And I, I, I came away pretty impressed, honestly. Um, and and I think yeah, it must have been oh five oh six. I I can't remember exactly when this came out, but yeah, I want to say it's fifteen years ago. Well, I mean, and I remember. I mean, me personally, I feel like this had a fairly quick turnaround. I mean, I distinctly remember hearing of its announcement around late spring, early summer or so of two thousand five, right before I went uh, before cameras. 
And then I remember in the fall of 2005, hearing that Sony uh, snatched it up for a DVD release. And in fact, at that point, it was going by its initial title, The Mechanic, because I remember seeing when they announced its release, when it was going to be coming out, yeah, they, they released the cover art and everything like that for The Mechanic, where the eye was, uh, you know, what, a wrench with a skull in it and everything yes, like that. Yeah, I remember this, um, yeah. Yeah, and I remember, uh, so they had it slated for a February uh, DVD release, and then I, I want to say it was maybe two, three months before that release, they quickly changed it uh, to the Russian specialist, because I guess Sony was worried at this time about the film being confused or mistaken for the Charlie Bronson film, The Mechanic, which, oddly enough, was remade in 2010 with Jason Statham. Yeah, I'm not sure those are... They're such different movies, too. Uh, I just don't think people, especially the spelling of this, I, I don't know. I don't think they ever give people enough credit with the, I think you would see that title and you would know it was different. I, I They just never give people credit. Well, you know, what's funny is uh, th this particular film is available on uh, Amazon Prime. It's on Tubi. It's on uh, Hoopla. And it is, in fact, going by its initial title, The Mechanic. Um, in fact, Good. on my most recent viewing, that's the version I saw was The Mechanic. So Me too. I, I think I imported a, a Blu-ray is what this, this one was an import. Yeah, I, I talked to you about it. Yeah, I imported this guy. And it was uh, – I don't know. I – it's it's not a pretty film necessarily, so it's it's difficult to say Blu-ray DVD. But this is a a kind of movie that you know I, I just because it's so it feels low rent in a way that uh, I I actually appreciate that stripped down title and mechanic much better. Russian specialist makes it sound way too much like a hitman movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I mean, so I don't know uh, about uh, if you remember the day you watched it, but I distinctly do. I don't know if this is something I should brag about or not, but this was actually released to DVD on Valentine's Day, February 14th, <laughs> 2006. And so I I remember I picked this up uh, on my way home from work from my local Best Buy, and it actually got released on the same day as Saw 2. So I, so I picked what? up uh, the Russian specialist and the saw and saw two. It, it was pretty much Brenton, the ultimate Valentine's Day double feature. Oh, I hope that uh, you had a lady that enjoyed that. <laughs> nope, nope, I did not. Uh, next, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so, um, but you know, uh, going back to the the opening ten minutes, this is. This is, I mean, let's face it, this is efficient storytelling. I mean, and it's mm. all, again, within 10 minutes. We get a ton of backstory uh, where Nikolai is working as a mechanic in Russia, has a loving wife and a son, and suddenly his peaceful existence is uprooted when, uh, what, this, this vicious Russian mobster comes into town and ignites a drug war. And, you know, as luck would have it, I mean, the film wouldn't exist if this didn't happen. Uh, Nick's wife and son are killed in the crossfire. So Nick seeks revenge and kills all those responsible. This is, again, I, I mean, I can't, I can't say it enough, but this is all told. There's so many things that are amazing about these opening scenes, but this is all told within 10 minutes. We have very limited dialogue and what there is, is all in Russian. We get some great slow motion camera effects, but I think this is Dolph. Again, the guy knows his way. 
around a camera. He had been acting, uh, you know, long enough at this point. I think he is deciding at this point in his career, okay, I know what the viewers want and I know what they need. So I'm going to give them exactly what they need to know, but in an extremely expedient manner. Oh, definitely. It's just, uh, I think he, he also kind of understands that, um, he wants to do a tw- a slight twist on the revenge tale, which is that the character, you know, as I said before, the character exists and thinks that he has had his revenge. Like it's it's a it's actually kind of curious that they don't spend slightly more time on what his existence is like afterwards. Like he goes, he clearly escapes to the U.S. And I actually, I'm, I'm like, what is he doing? What is his life? Because he's just kind of a mechanic. And uh, I actually, I, if I, if I could offer up a criticism, I'd say that uh, I am curious. I really want to know what this guy was doing. Yeah, well, you know, this this entire opening scene reminded me of was uh, it's it's extremely similar, not just in the character arc, but in the overall uh, cinematic uh, filming style as uh, Jean Claude Van Damme's In Hell. I'm sure you're familiar with In oh, Hell, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's if you if you look at In Hell, uh, which was directed by Ringo Lamb, it's a very similar setup where, uh, again, the first opening, you know, the opening 10, 15 minutes um, gives you everything that you need to know where uh, Jean-Claude is, is living in another country and his wife is attacked. And so he goes to court and he kills the, uh, the perpetrator of the crime. And so as a result, Jean-Claude is sent to prison. And this is all done so efficiently and as much as much credit as I want to give. Uh, directors like Ringo Lamb and like Dolph Lundgren. I think the other thing that we do kind of have to take into consideration here is that both Russian Specialist and In Hell uh, were both distributed by Sony. And I think the kind of unwritten law with Sony, especially their direct-to-video action titles, was these action films needed to come in at a clean 90 minutes. No more than 90 minutes, no less. I mean, it needed to be a 90-minute film. Oh, yeah, it was... You know, I was just looking at the runtime of this because I was thinking about how how efficient this is. And, yeah, I have 90 minutes and two seconds. That's what I have. Yeah, it, and, and I'm pretty like, sure uh, in hell is about this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I'll bet it's around the same. Yeah. And so, oh, I mean, and if you look at a lot of the if you look at a lot of the DTV stuff that came out. Uh, from Sony, well, even I think because I mean, they still do some directivity of action titles. They're not as uh, prevalent to, today as they as they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But all of their films were always between 90 to 95 minutes. And that's with credits. So anyway, um, so Dolph kills the man uh, responsible. This this character's name is uh, Sasha. And he's played by um, an actor by the name of uh, and I'm going to say his name wrong. So please forgive me. Uh, Ivan Petrushinov. But um, Adolph kills the man responsible for his wife and son's death by shooting him in the face, or so we think. And and I love the way uh, Dolph shoots the scene where he shoots him in the face and then Dolph walks away. But then we see Sasha still awake and blinking his eyes. Yeah. Well, I like that, that kind of creepiness. The guy, too. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if... Uh, he he's ever really been in anything else, but he's a he's great at playing a creep. He's totally sells it. Oh, he's pure sleaze. I mean, he is just pure 
sleazy. He's not the most uh, physically imposing baddie that Dolph has had, but this is something that I think you would agree with as well, is finally at this point in Dolph's career, Dolph has a real villain. And I would say this is probably the best villain Dolph has been able to square off against since Men of War. I mean, in Men of War, Trevor Goddard as the main heavy was amazing. And so it's just kind of yeah, sad. 1994 he's... all the way to 2006, Dolph finally has a real worthy adversary. Well, that's the other thing, too. You know, when we're talking about how lean Dolph is, this guy is more or less the opposite of him. And he he looks it and he plays it great because he's very, um, well he's fairly impassioned too. Like he he plays like a, a dead shell character, but he you can see he's got the fire going on, man. But yeah, so after this uh, this killer opening ten minute uh, backstory that we get, uh, the film picks up uh, seven years later in Los Angeles, where Nikolai is working as a mechanic in a body shop. Hey, here's some fun facts for you. I don't know if you noticed this or not, Brenton. I noticed it on my most recent viewing. Um, but in this scene, the manager or the boss of the body shop is actually played by Barry Evans, who has been Dolph's uh, uh, karate trainer for years. I did not know that. Yeah, the little guy, the little guy who comes in with the blonde hair and the glasses, who says, who are you looking for, Nick? Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's Dolph's trainer. That's <laughs> crazy. What? <laughs> well, it just it goes just... to show when Dolph when Dolph is the director, of course he's going to cast his buddies, you know. So, well, I want to know how he got Ben Cross in there. Oh, I have a lot of things to say about the character of Ben Cross. That's some inspired uh, casting and acting right there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, when we see Nikolai again through again some extremely efficient storytelling, I mean, this film really doesn't skip any beats. It doesn't really take any time to breathe if you think about it a wealthy businesswoman has shown up at the body shop and she is hiring nick to find her daughter who has been kidnapped by quote-unquote russian gangsters and they're essentially blackmailing uh nikolai where her associates are threatening nick with exposing him because he's working illegally in the u.s uh but the woman also tells nick um who is responsible for the kidnapping and that is sasha uh, the man who obviously killed Nick's family, uh, who Nick thought that he killed seven years ago. But Sasha is very much alive, only now with a nasty scar on his face. Yes, heretofore with a face scar, which I love, by the way. Um, that Like, if you thought he was creepy looking before that, like, afterwards, you're like, wow, okay. Like, he even, uh, that, that scar makeup does about 90% of the heavy lifting for him, I think. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's very, it's almost like uh, Dolph is giving us, I mean, because this film, it's its a throw, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but this film in a lot of ways is kind of a, a throwback to the 70s revenge type movies. But I feel like with this particular villain, what what Dolph is doing is he's also giving us a James Bond villain. I yeah. mean, that's really what Sasha is. Well, everyone's so gross and stuff that it kind of reminds you of like the uh the old Leone westerns and stuff but bond mm -hmm. yeah this is totally like a blowfeld uh you know you only live twice kind of thing that yeah, makes sense i didn't even think about that till you said that and the other thing that i think we need to take a look at with this film that we really haven't addressed is you know and i know i know this is something that you had to catch on to because i know 
from our previous discussions, you always seem to point out the photography, but the photography and the color palette of this film is amazing to look at. I mean, again, this is Dolph. He knows what he's doing and he's giving us lots of browns and dark yellows. I mean, the palette of, of colors in this film, there's a ton of washed out colors and they really look, I don't know if you thought the same, but they look to be applying like a filter of sorts to the colors that almost make them look uh, uh, bleached and faded. Like yes. the film has just been left out in the sun to burn. You know what I mean? <laughs> like when you when you take an old photograph and you leave it out in the sun and just how it kind of, you know, uh, fades. I think that is the type of look that Dolph is going for with this film. Well, it's crazy, too. Uh, I don't know why he's doing that, but... It definitely leaves an effect, especially like like the movie starts washed out and and it gains color right about I guess when the uh, the whole strip lounge scene, which might be an indication of like a, a directorial thing where he's saying this is where the character gains purpose, and so now he's seeing things in color, so maybe that's what's going on. But before oh, that, it, yeah, I don't know, though, but that's my assumption, because it before that, it is very washed out. And especially um, there's a, a whole scene that I love, which, which is his uh, when he's in the taxi cab and he has his little flash of uh, his son riding a bike along the road and his son right. is just covered in blood. It's like horrific and i uh it it actually you know it's weird as the first time i watched it i was like yeah okay um but this last time i watched it actually freaked me out a little bit <laughs> so i love it now well yeah i mean it's it's really interesting and evident with the films that uh that, that lundgren has directed i mean if you look at we talked about this with the defender the defender dolph uses lots of slow motion and you know various um various filters and tricks of the camera. Um, he does the same thing with Missionary Man. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've yeah. seen Missionary Man, but yeah. Missionary Man also, he applies this really kind of faded filter to it. And that's one thing that, you know, I, I got to give Dolph major credit for, because again, I think, I think Dolph is of the opinion where he's thinking, you know what, if these films are going to be direct to video and they're going to bypass a theatrical release, well then, you know what, I'm going to make them look as theatrical as I possibly can. Don't you think? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, exactly. I think he's bringing, I, I, you know, I hate to put it that way, but it's like he's bringing culture to the DTV scene. So you yeah, watch. Right. That's a good way of looking at it, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Missionary Man is Pale Rider. Like, it's totally a, uh, like a version of Pale Rider, the Pale Rider story, if you've seen the Clint Eastwood film. And, right, right. Um, so he's like, Go watch some movies, guys. That's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I think he's saying go watch some movies, and he's also saying, look, guys, I know my fan base. I know the clientele. I'm going to give them what they want. And I think yeah. you to, – to echo to echo something you said when we discussed uh, Agent Red – I feel like maybe I should take a drink just mentioning that title. <laughs> um, but Agent cheers. Red, as I think he yeah, – cheers. Yeah, another one. There you go. Uh, I, I think he is kind of saying, look – People want to see me shooting bad guys in the face, and that is what <laughs> that is what I'm going to do 
in my films is the the ones that I'm directing, the ones that I am fronting, I'm going to be um I I'm going to be afflicting some major carnage on onto the bad guys, which is what we want, which is great. Yeah. So, uh Nikolai moves from the US to back, he has to go back to Russia here, right? Right. So it's St. Petersburg to be exact. Do they actually film in Russia? I mean, I, there's obviously a shot where he, it looks like he's walking away from the Red Square or something at one point. But do they, but beyond that, do you know? Do they shoot in Russia for real? You know what? Shoot. I, sh- I should go back and look at the, uh, because I know that around this period, um, New Image, their, uh, their, their filming locations were in Bulgaria. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this might be Bulgaria made to look like Russia, but now you, now you're making me kind of want to go back and, uh, and take a look because I mean, I, I, I hate to say that this is stock footage that they are using in these scenes, but I love how, uh, how Dolph and the director of photography really love to marvel at the scenery of what we are getting. And I mean, if you want to compare this to something like Agent Red, which where in Agent Red, the antagonists were Russian. They bother. Mm. They 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 used probably the lamest stock footage they possibly could to establish that it's Russia, and it just comes off really pathetic and a joke. Here, I mean, for a film called The Russian Specialist, where where Dolph is playing a Russian and the bad guys are all Russian, well, then he is going to let you know uh, that this film. I see, and I don't know if it was if it was filmed in Russia or not, but he's going to try his his damnedest to make it appear that this is Russia. I mean, the scenery itself, the location is just as, in my opinion, just as much a character as the characters are. Yeah. Well, they do a great job. Even um, look at uh, towards the end of the film, they're in this rural village. Um, All those people feel like they're small town Russian people to me. Anyways, I've never been over there, so I, I guess I can't really say, but it feels pretty authentic. Well, I mean, and you mentioned Ben Cross already, so let, let's let's get there to him. So as soon as Nick arrives in Russia, um, he seeks out his contact, who's essentially going to be assisting him in finding the girl. Uh, the character's name is William Burton, played by great actor Ben Cross. Um, I have a lot of things to say about this character, uh, but I'll, I'll let you go first. What do you think about the uh, second lead in the film, uh, Dolph's, uh, Dolph's partner, Ben? Uh, uh, Burton, as he's referred to in the film, I think he's the heart of the film. He he really is, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, he's great. Um, I but that whole intro scene with him in the ta- back of the taxi cab, I think it's a taxi cab, it's a car, anyways, and he's talking to the uh, escort lady, and that scene informs so much of this movie. But it's uh, he's so good in it. Um, just like he's one of those actors where you can watch and, and it's not just the lighting, but he has such a glimmer in his eyes. He's one of those guys that can, like, he seems like he's given 110%, even in a film, which surely they told him was a DTV action film, but he, he makes this movie work on an emotional level that it probably wouldn't work 
otherwise. Plus, uh, you know, let's mix that in with the cinematography of that scene. There is just like a pulsating blue light, like constantly during this back, this whole scene where he's talking to this escort lady who's his on again, off again contact girlfriend. They never re- exactly make clear, but they only make clear that later on that he definitely 100% has feelings and everything he says to her is genuine. Like he wants to run off with her, but she is really not interested in him um, and just kind of lives this kind of precarious life. Yeah, he's great in this scene. Well, you know, I love, um, yeah, you said everything. I love the character. I love that he's really surly. I mean, he's a drunk with a temper. And yeah, I think one of the things that uh, makes this character work is the fact that uh, Lundgren has cast such a uh, accomplished actor, you know, in this particular role, who is, I mean, you said it, he is adding some amazing flair to a character that, I, I think we can say in any other revenge type film, this character would be fairly one dimensional, but Ben Cross is bringing so much to this character. And I can't help but wonder, I'd love to take a look at the, uh, at the script of this film, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Dolph, because we didn't really say, uh, but yeah, Dolph um, has a story by credit. Um, the screenplay mm-hmm. was actually written by uh, someone else by the name of, uh, Brian Edward Hill, who obviously took Dolph's story outline and then fleshed it out. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if this particular character, if when Ben Cross came on set, he, being the accomplished actor that he is, really wanted to flesh this out and add some more details to him. No, totally. Um, you watch something like, um, watch any, either any, uh, let's say, miss, Missing Action or Missing Action 3. They have a character that is more or less this kind of character in missing action is played by um, E Emmett Walsh. And is that kind of guy that's just sort of, um, well, E Emmett Walsh, uh, oddly enough, played the similar character again in red scorpion, where he is sort of our, our entryway into the story in a way. And, yeah. and Ben Cross takes that role and actually just instead of being our window, he creates a whole damn character out of it. And it's absolutely fabulous here. Some, for some reason, uh, I love him in this and, uh, and I love his, his weird relationship with the, with the gal. It's great. Uh, and, and tragic, it's really tragic. It's yeah. yeah. Oh my God. That, that scene at the end, which I won't get to it just yet, but it is so tragic in the end when we see what happens to his, uh, to hit to his uh his lover i guess we can say and you know i mean yeah we we touched upon it already but dolph and uh ben cross these these two actors these two characters they have a great camaraderie and chemistry in this film and there there was a part of me actually that almost kind of wanted a movie solely about these two teaming up and going on mission i I mean because i don't know if you picked yeah well and i i mean i even have a title for it brenton because the (laughs) <laughs> I do. Because uh, Sasha's goons, I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but Sasha's goons refer to Dolph and uh, Ben Cross as the mechanic in the Brit. Oh, and I was my thinking, gosh. Wouldn't, wouldn't yes. that be a great title? Yes, I love it. 
Ah, uh, man, to to be a producer with money at the time. I, you know, I will say, if I'm going to give one slight critique, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, but there are times in this film where I'm not a huge fan of the editing. Uh, there, there's yes. some things that uh, Lundgren does that just are, are kind of jarring in, in, in a lot of ways. So, uh, and again, I don't know if you picked up on this, but he utilizes lots of fades to black that yeah. then cut that then cut to the next scene. And I guess they're not incredibly jarring, but they are very distracting. And I, I feel like he uses them a bit too much. So uh, I guess um, for our younger listeners, uh, this is a, a thing where uh, folks, uh, Sean and I are of an age where when we <laughs> saw that back in the day, that meant commercial break. So <laughs> it would go to a bunch of ads. That's what that meant back in the day. And so when it's used, I would say about six or seven times in this film, at least. And oh, yeah. that is a lot. Um, and ba even back in the day, you'd be watching a movie. And as soon as that happened, you go, uh, but I mean, sometimes it'd be like, well, I guess I can go use the bathroom. But some, a lot of times it's absolutely awful. The other thing he uses is a thing I've seen. Uh, there was a critic I used to follow about 10 or so years ago. Maybe it was back when this came out, actually. But a guy used to call it uh, avid farts. And that's where they would <laughs> speed it up really quick and use like a whiteout moment. And uh, there's a lot of that in this. But I think that's more of a product of its time. Nobody really does that anymore. That's kind of a uh, mid-2000s thing where they were just getting into um, digital editing. And so you would just see a lot of this, especially in GTV movies. They would just speed a, a, a moment up, usually um, second unit footage or, or something like a character walking, and they would just like blip it. And now he's closer to the, the screen where he's just walking towards us. Yeah. And they go, blip, yeah. and then he's right there. And they would do like a whiteout. And that's they do that a lot in this too. But I think that... I, I don't want to pin it on Lundgren. I kind of want to pin it on the time period and, sure. and the fact that it's a DTV film that it was just super common at the time. And again, I don't want to keep harping on it, but I, I can't help but wonder uh, the execs over at Sony were pretty much, okay, yeah. Uh, is that 90 minute running time? Is it going to hit that? Okay. Let's quickly fade out, do a quick speed up, whatever it may be. So that it could hit that. Um, and like I said, it's not, it's not huge. I mean, it's not really detrimental to the story, but like, for example, the scene where, um, th there's a shootout that occurs in these rundown tenements. Um, it's right after, uh, it's right after Nick beats up the bouncers at, at a club that, uh, that the, that the bad guy Sasha owns. I mean, we get a massive shootout there and then Dolph and Ben Cross jump on a motorcycle and they escape. And then it, fades to black and then goes to the next scene inside the apartment. It's like, what? Like, we don't get to, I, you know, I, I kind of want to see him, uh, you know, a little bit more. I mean, it, it's like I said, not a huge deal, but um, you know, it, it's something that uh, like you said, a product of the time that I don't think plays well. Yeah. Well, it's too bad too. You know, it's weird too. And you think about this, this is uh, probably a better movie overall, but when you think about it, um, but it's it's similar like within within a few years of taken 
Um, right. I would probably, you know, and I think people regard Taken very well, but I would probably rather watch this film again than Taken. Oh, I, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there right now. I don't know if you're a fan of Taken or not, but I, I am not a fan of Taken actually. And I'll, and I'll tell you why actually. Are, do you like Taken? Are you a fan of the Taken movies? I, I actually, I don't mind it. I like it. Uh, I don't care for any of the sequels. I think they're all the the sequels are trash. So, um, but technically, what, the first one is too. But you know, it's kind of <laughs> my kind of trash. Here's what ruined Taken for me, and the, we're we're kind of derailing the. <laughs> but oh, let's, let's ruined, do it. Here's what ruined Taken for me. Okay, there is a scene in the first 15 minutes of Taken where these screenwriters are trying to establish that Liam Neeson and his team of commandos were badasses back in the day, okay? And rather than showing them on a mission or rather than uh, showing them, you know, being badass in in some kind of way, what do they choose to do? They do a barbecue in Liam Neeson's backyard where the characters are actually saying lines such as, hey, remember that time in Beirut? Like, it was so exciting to me where I'm thinking, like, okay, this is not a badass. You know, a guy sitting there grilling a hamburger talking about his days in Beirut. I want to see that. I don't want to hear an old man talking about it. Well, it's one of the curious things. And and I have friends that we we talked about that we've talked about this, but you watch Taken and it's a this is a DTV movie. This is nothing new. It's weird that that movie of any of the GTV movies that I've ever seen is uh, somehow it got a, a theatrical release. It's and it was weird. a powerhouse too. It's yeah. weird because I remember that came out in January of what was it, two thousand eight? Yeah. Say, and yeah, I, mean, I think you're right. The number it was the number one movie. I mean, first of all, I was surprised that it even got a theatrical release anyway, but it was like the number one movie for like four weeks straight. Like people were taken by the movie taken. It was, <laughs> it was weird. Well, it's a, it's a Seagal movie. It just doesn't have yeah. Seagal in it. And it's so weird. Like I remember watching, I watched that movie. And I enjoyed it, but there, you know, I'm always removed because I'm a action fan guy. So I or action star guy. I love these stars. I I like Seagal. So I'm like, I would have rather watched this same movie in theaters with Seagal. I would have rather watched it with Dolph Lundgren. Any one of these guys, I'd have been 10 times more excited about it being big. It was weird that uh, Liam Neeson and now Liam Neeson's had a whole career basically based off Taken that it seems like it came out of nowhere, but it's, the only thing is, um, here's what sold that entire movie, is that phone call where he right. tells the guy. Um, that was a great trailer. Of, that was a solid marketing yes. strategy to play that scene as the trailer. And you're exactly right. Yeah, it was it was that scene that got people sold. Because, yeah, as much as I do not like the barbecue scene, that is a pretty dope scene, him on the phone. But, yeah, watch, uh, you know that? When he goes to the first uh, in Taken, where he goes to the first place where he re- he he sees the first gal that was uh, um, 
his daughter's friend and he rescued, he shoots the place up and he rescued or he, he gets the girl, but I don't think she survives. Um, but anyways, that scene is almost no different from the scene in this film in the mechanic when he goes and actually rescues the gal. It's, it's the same kind of action. It's edited a very same way. I would say this is probably edited better because it's not as choppy. Um, is taken. Taken's pretty choppy as far as when it comes to the action. Uh, I think that's because Dolph Lundgren can actually do martial arts and mm-hmm. Liam Neeson so much. So you, I don't know, you just watch something like this in comparison and you go, okay, well, this is better. Um, but only nominally so. Um, the deal was, I think, Taken may have had a, or it definitely had a bigger budget. And I think that may have pushed it but I don't know how somebody decided that Taken was worth theaters and not something like this. It's weird how that works. Yeah, in, in hindsight, yeah, it is really weird. But, you know, both these films, both Russian Specialists and Taken, both these films touch upon the, uh, the, the subject of human trafficking. And, you know, this is a cause that Dolph clearly has always felt strongly about. I mean, he later went on to do uh, the film Skin Trade in 2015. Um, Which I love, by the way. Yep, a great one. Um, And then he also participated in a documentary on the subject called Stopping Traffic. So I have not seen this. Yeah, I actually, I haven't seen it in its entirety either, but I know he does... um, he is a consultant in it, and he does uh, he does provide some uh, some interviews. So major major kudos and props to Dolph for taking for really investing in a uh, a serious topical subject like this for multiple movies too. I mean that's the other thing we need to look at for multiple movies for him taking a serious topical subject matter like this and really um, exploring it in the best way that he knows how. I'm assuming around this time by making films that touch upon this fair enough i man i need to get into that i really like skin trade though so it's it's hard to i mean it's definitely hard to argue but i guess it's it's uh it's a way I mean, if you look at it you go well Dolph was there first you know I, I i've been saying it for years that taken was a seagal film but i think that was I think it was really a Dolph film. <laughs> yeah. It just didn't have yeah. Dolph. Which right. is, that's the thing. It's, it's almost tragic about it. Although Dolph did eventually get a little bit of resurgence. He was able to go, he was in Expendables and he was in, uh, you know, in Aquaman and stuff. So, you know, he, he had his own moments. And well, I mean, he's I not think- gone. Well, and I think with regard to Taken, what Taken also did that I think uh, <clears throat> that really attracted audiences is it took an actor who, let's face it, maybe was a little, uh, you know, was a little nebbish, if you will. And we wouldn't really who you really, really, really expect as being a tough guy. And it completely averted those those expectations and those assumptions and made him a tough guy. And so if you remember after Taken, we got a few copycat films that kind of followed that same formula. Uh, we got, uh, uh, I guess it came before Taken, but we had Death Sentence where Kevin Bacon was the badass. And then if you remember, um, the director of Taken did a movie uh, called The Gunman with Sean Penn. 
Yeah, where yeah, if yeah. You remember the, the Gunman, uh, which is not a great movie, uh, but in that one, Sean Penn just got completely jacked for that role, and um, he became a badass as well. So I think that's the other thing too. With uh, as much as we would have loved seeing guys who have proven to be badasses on film, like Seagal and Dolph and Van Damme and all these dudes, I think what Taken did is it. It, it kind of created this weird subgenre, if you will, of, hey, we're going to take accomplished actors who maybe aren't badasses and we're going to turn them into badasses, if that makes sense. Yeah. I guess a question of like, how good of an actor is this person? And like, right. well, can they convince you that they're a badass? You know, you Denzel Washington, same thing, you know, Equalizer. Um, those kind of movies, which I feel, even John Wick, actually, now that we're, you know, so I brought it up earlier, John Wick is really a, a response. I think the genesis for these, personally, is probably Rocky Balboa, and then on to Rambo. I think Stallone probably pushed all these. Right. And then, and then it ended up with, we got you got your takens and your equalizers uh gunmen and so on but i just i guess i just maybe i miffed that that uh a film like this isn't as big because i feel like this is a pretty damn good movie no i agree with you i agree with you completely um and, and you know going back to the film so the character of william uh he introduces nick to his team who is going to be assisting uh, them on this mission. And they also get the necessary weapons for the job. And so what happens from here is Nick and William go into a club to retrieve the girl. Uh, and they do successfully get her out. Um, but she is, a, she's been drugged and she is out of it. And uh, Nick's team is also one man down because <laughs> the young kid is injured uh, once upon playing once again, playing upon that old cliche of if you have a, a young kid or a rookie who's assisting you on a mission, well, he's most likely going to be killed. Um, <laughs> and so uh, Nick and his team are headed for the border in a beat up truck that has trouble running. And so <laughs> I, I, I like this scene here because Nick is a mechanic. Sure. I like the fact that Again, they're playing upon the title, the mechanic, and they're also playing upon uh, Dolph's uh, Dolph's trade here, being a mechanic. He is able to use his expertise in cars to get the truck working again because what he uses the girls' uh, stockings, I guess, to to get the truck working. I still don't understand how that works. I have no, had radiators overheat and I have done things to them and I have seen people do things to radiators and I just don't understand what that hell Nikolai does with stocking that fixes that. I assume that it's a radiator overheating. They actually don't say what the problem is, but that's what it looked like to me. I think the thing that we're forgetting here, Brenton is not only is he former Spetsnaz, but he's also MacGyver. In a sense. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we what what transpires from here is it's pretty much the calm before the storm. I really like these scenes. I mean, it's uh on a literal level almost, where it's raining outside and Nick, William, and what's left of the team, uh, they find refuge in a village just on the outskirts of the border. The girl who they were sent to retrieve, we find out her name is Julia, uh, she is now sober. 
and the entire gang gathers for a dinner where they're singing and laughing, uh, you know, all this good stuff at the table. I like this scene because as the viewer, it's one of those things where it's dramatic irony in a sense, right? Because we know they're all happy, but we know that there is a storm brewing and, uh, they're the entire song that they sang. Yeah. 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 I wish I knew more about the song too. Cause it's just kind of like, it feels like a more of a moment, but I don't know what, I don't know the history of it. Well, I mean, it's, and it's, a, it's a really, like I said, it's a nice scene because, I mean, this is, I don't want to say it's the first time in the film, but it's the first time in a long while in the film where we really see Dolph's character smile. And it's, it's really tragic in a sense, too, because again, if you want to say that this is his Red Scorpion character, or if you want to say that he's kind of playing a John Rambo character, if you will, it's again, kind of tying in with that same thing of, this is a character who is never going to find peace. And even when he is happy and finding peace, it's almost like his past is coming back to haunt him. Yeah. Well, they, they actually, I think you're exactly right because they kneel at home because I think not positive, but I think around there, they actually do another flashback scene, but maybe they don't. Uh, maybe it was just in my head, but they, you know, they do have this scene where he comforts the uh, the gal that they, they rescued. And that's similar, where he, he gets that that paternal moment. Well, we also get some backstory to the uh, to the, uh, um, the the William character, the Ben Cross character. Because we find out that he has also had a tragic past similar to Nick. Hence his, uh, his constant drunken state that he's always in. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, that's true. Um, we, man, we're really leading towards the, uh, honestly, the, the scene that really just this last viewing, I was like, that's so messed up. Yeah, uh, it is with the girl, right? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Honestly, this, oh, so when I was in my twenties and I watched this scene, uh, I basically was like, all right, skip to the action. But now that I'm a little yeah. older and I see, you know, the I saw those scenes where he goes, we should run off. Let's leave. And now that's she's everything to Ben Cross's character. And they have her marching out ahead of time, knowing full well what they're doing to her. The villains basically keep her in her stripped up stripper outfit and she is bruised battered and they're bloody. using her as bait yeah and the worst thing is they do this shot they do this thing with all the characters where like they're waking up and they're like looking out the window and they see her from a distance and then they do like immediate close-up so she's just absolutely suffering the actress is is killing it here. And um, that whole bit is so good that it it's shocking in a way that it's that they let this scene breathe when they let so little else breathe in this movie. Because, you know, the hour and a half running time and all. But they let her breathe and then just shotgun this little twig of a gal right in the road. And it is, like, horrific. 
It's very similar to um, it's yeah, it's it's a very disturbing, difficult scene to watch. It's very similar to uh, the scene in uh, True Romance where uh, James Gandolfini comes in and uh, just starts, you know, getting in that fight with Patricia Arquette. Yes, I mean, it's, it's it's so brutal, and you 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 want to look away, but but you you know you can't because you're hoping that that this this you know um piece of filth this this the horrible human being is going to get it in the end and you know that he is i mean because this is an action picture but it's you yeah. know one of those things i once heard uh, someone refer to that scene in true romance as um the best worst scene ever because yeah i mean the comeuppance that uh that patricia arquette gets on james gandolfini is wonderful but my god it is a it is a hard road to get there yeah, well, it's catharsis and true romance. You know, mm -hmm. you get Patricia uh, Arquette, you know, waking the shotgun in the air and screaming into the heavens. But here it's just, um, you know, when she gets shot in the back, she gets shot like a rabid dog in the street of this nothing rural town in the middle of nowhere, Russia. And it yeah. is, um, it's really hard. But, and and you look at these, so the rest of the the entire ending sequence, the next like twenty minutes of the movie, basically, you're like, kill these fuckers, get them. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, and yeah, D Dolphin and and company, they don't shy away from the violence here. I mean, you said it, the shotgun yeah. blast just rips through Natalia, is the character's name, and I feel like where many films may have cut away, Dolph does not, and. What's yeah. also interesting to note, there's a couple things here. Number one, how Dolph uses squibs, but on skin. I mean, typically when you see squibs being used, you, the characters are wearing clothing, right? I yeah. mean, they're wearing clothing as well that the squibs can, you know, rip through the clothing. I mean, it's it's easy, you know, cinematically, you know, for the production crew. But the fact that this is on human flesh, human skin, just makes the scene so much, so much harder and so much grosser you know, yeah. to, to, to see. And I think that that adds to, I mean, you really feel for it, especially, I mean, I don't know about you, but what really got me, obviously that scene is tough, but what really got me is Dolph looking at the Burton character because Burton wants to go out and rescue her. And just how Dolph looks at her, looks at Burton and says, she's already dead. Like we can yeah. go. I mean, and that right there and you see, God, and that's why I feel like the mechanic and the Brit, should be a movie because the relationship between the two of them and just the look in Burton's eyes as he's looking at Dolph and he knows it as well. He knows that, you know, N Natalia doesn't stand a chance. And just when he hears the shotgun blast and how he screams, Oh my God, like it is so tragic again for a small little direct to video film put out by new image. You wouldn't get that this, this, this kind of emotion, this kind of pathos, from a lot of the stuff that uh, that they were doing. Speaking of in hell earlier, Sasha's right hand man, the uh, second in command, is played by uh, Raicho Veselev, I think is how you say his name. But he's the same actor um, from In Hell who also played a Despicable Thug. Well, damn. <laughs> you know, I think you got me on that because I usually am the guy to spot these guys, and I did not spot that. 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's been in a quite a few new image productions. So yeah, he did Inhale. He did Direct Contact, this film, and Command Performance. So kind of like, kind of going along with, uh, new images predecessors of canon films. They like to, uh, they have pretty much a Rolodex of, uh, of thugs and heavies that they can call upon for, for these low budget, <laughs> for these, for these films. Hey, fair enough. Yeah. But this whole, uh, this whole ending shootout. I don't know. I I I kind of love it because it's it's so deliberately paid. It's like an old western, actually. It really is. Well, and I love the fact that it's. I mean, the the final act is pretty much virtually entirely in daylight. And yes. the daylight it provides some wonderful photography. Where again, we get to uh, really marvel at this uh, locale and scenery of these farming villages. And, you know, I don't know if you notice this as well, but again, going along with the color palettes of the film, we have those washed out colors of brown and yellow. And even, I mean, I, I got to think that this obviously was once again, a conscious choice clearly, but even Lundgren's attire in the film, the, the clothing that he is wearing blends in so well with that, uh, with that washed out color palette. Cause he's wearing brown khaki pants and a white shirt that's stained and darkened. Did you notice this? Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing too. It, like he looks like any one of those buildings um with the with the little brick ceiling or roof as well. Like he looks like any one of those. Like he fits right in. Throw the shotgun on and the and the gun belt is it doesn't matter. He looks he looks like the village. Yeah. Which you know I mean Compare that to the beginning when he gets his revenge and he's got all the the face paint on and stuff, like <laughs> just night night and day, like literally. Well, I mean, and yeah, this this final uh, act of the film, I mean, this is really cool. We get tons of headshots and they're all very gory. There's one scene where um, Lundgren beats a guy to death in the fa- in a, in his face with the, uh, or excuse me, actually, this is Burton who does this. The character Burton. Uh, he beats a guy to death um, with the butt of his shotgun. I mean, and again, the camera doesn't shy away from the aftermath of what he does to this 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 horrible person's uh, face. And something else that that we have to note is the pacing of this film is great. I mean, what is extremely refreshing for an action movie is that this final battle, like you said, takes up twenty five minutes of the film. And I think that's how you do an action movie. You have a 90-minute action film with a very simplistic, fairly basic story. Well, Dolph has given fans what he wants, okay? 90-minute film? Well, then you know what? 30 minutes of that 90-minute film are going to be delivering action. As opposed to <laughs> if you want to look at Agent Red, where the pacing was all off and we barely got any action with the exception of maybe 5, 10 minutes. This is how you do it. This is done right. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I think that's probably why I remembered this fondly. Not to mention, just like, you know, you mentioned the squibs earlier, but look at the gun effects. I think the first guy he shot in this, in, in the ending action sequence, like flies up against a wall. Like that kind yeah. of, that was great. Like that's how you open an action sequence. And the entire thing is just bloody and tense. And I think that there, what is there, like, there's less than 10 people involved in the final thing, not counting the, the people hiding under their beds. But there's like, 
there's random stuff like there's like a, a matriarch of a family that's been given a Beretta and she shoots a guy to death and I mean, just like stuff like that like it's just this like it's small scale it doesn't feel world ending but it's great it's tense and it's and you can feel it's intimate well, and I, I wanted to get your take real quick here on Dolph's weapon in this final act okay so Dolph's character Nikolai, um, he pretty much uh, carves a warpath in this uh, in these final twenty five minutes with a twelve gauge double barreled shotgun. And I wanted to get your opinion and take on this, Brenton. Why do you think he chose this particular weapon? I mean, usually, usually in these action movies, the weapons and firearms that are chosen. Uh, Usually, I like to think kind of have a symbolic meaning, if you will, to the character or maybe to the film in general. And it's really interesting to me that in this final assault, Dolph chooses again. He's he has that that twelve gauge double barreled shotgun, and then he has the uh, the belt of bullets that he has slung over his shoulder. Again, I'd like to think there's some kind of meaning behind it, um, but I'd like to hear your take. Why do you think uh, he chose? this uh this this impressive uh firearm here well the number one thing with a shotgun and you always got to remember is that a shotgun is a close range weapon so you're already looking at a level of intimacy with your weapon so i guess what i would think about and i haven't had time to prepare this but i would think that he is approaching the situation with a level of personal uh, commitment or well it, it, you know that's the word personal this is this is personal to him and the other thing is that it is a it's double barrel which in this film it's a it's single loader like he loads each barrel like and they, I think I remember them him showing several times reloading so it's 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 measured it's deliberate so when he finally catches up to sasha at the end this is as personal and deliberate as you can imagine a actual revenge to be so he has a guy right where he wants him and he gets him exactly how he wants to do it is intimate and personal as i keep saying as you can imagine. And so I guess uh shotguns just it's intimate. Yeah, yeah. And plus not only that, but Dolph looks freaking badass carrying this thing. I mean it, yeah, it, well, it sells the poster, I mean, right there. Well you've got the, the belt across his chest. Uh I can't remember the word, so I'm just gonna say belt. But that is fantastic. I think when he hits when he when he beats the guy with the gun, he's splattered with blood. I mean, you know that helps the whole tan, uh, off-white shirt that he's wearing, all that stuff. It's 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 great. You know, you've got to this is this is Dolph kind of coming into his own as a uh, visually as a director. Like he understands a look. Like even like Ben Cross has a he's got like some kind of handgun right that's the entire thing and he's walking around with this gun 
and it's a it's a sure barrel because it, it's just a guy that's it's not a he he's not a warrior like the rest of the group so he's got this sort of short barrel handgun and it's great like that's that's what he is as a character he's not this big huge long gun or anything that this is this is Dolph Lundgren understanding the characters and who they are by their weaponry. So Dolph Lundgren has the intimate, um, big but deliberate shotgun, and Ben Cross got the handgun. Just look at that stuff; it's great. Yeah, yeah. There's, well, I mean, and let's let's. I mean, here we are. Let, let's get to the money shot of the film, okay? Yeah, uh, we're Nick, gonna do get, it. We're gonna do it. Yeah. Uh, maybe we yeah. should have a drink for uh, drink for this yeah, for this one right here, Brenton. All right. So yeah, uh Nick gets to square off against Sasha and um he shoots Sasha or excuse me sh- uh, shoots one shotgun blast to Sasha's leg and then another as Sasha is laying in this pond he blasts him again in the head and we get I mean this this is <laughs> I I hate to say that this I mean it is a cool scene but it is a very gnarly scene here okay so Dolph does point blank range shotgun blast to Sasha's head. I mean, and it is what Dolph does is it's an aerial shot, right? So it is above and we get to see in slow motion. It pretty much looks like the equivalent of a watermelon exploding, <laughs> exploding yeah. at the part, right? Yeah. But let's, uh, you know, not downplay like the, the fact that he uses I don't know. I don't know how many shots, but I, I tried to like ment. I, I now that I'm looking back, I'm like trying to mentally count how many times they cut this scene. But it's a lot. Like he shoots him. Uh, I think about in the in the waist, hip, groin area with the shotgun on the first blast, and then the character is basically crawling away. So there's this great shot uh, of the family just hanging out. As Dolph like walks away and reloads his gun in the close-up, but you know this is a, I keep saying about it being intimate, where you're like, here's Dolph reloading a gun, but you see Dolph like walking off frame, like there's like that family that was living in the house that took them in earlier, and the last shot of them is just like them like comforting each other, and then like the very next shot is is Dolph like sticking the gun up to the guy's face as he crawls into a mud puddle. It's like, I don't know. I just thought that was really intense. And also speaking of that, that aerial shot, him hitting the guy, um, you don't even see his face anymore. Like before that, the last thing you see was that guy's like dipping into this giant mud puddle. The next time you see him, you don't see his face. You just see mist blood and splash it's yeah absolutely amazing um and and it's really hard i know a lot of people are like growing up now with the with all the cgi superhero stuff but to just like look at like something as simple as a guy blowing a guy's head into fine mist and spread spray is such i don't know there's something just like cathartic about even the practical effects of that. Well, I mean, I like the fact that you said this is a weapon of intimacy and yeah, I mean, every time he reloads, I mean, every one of those bullets is used. I mean, effectively, I mean, because if you think about it, a lot of action films, you know, the the characters, you know, shoot willy nilly and, you know, you wonder, okay, well, 
okay, they hit about four bad guys, but how many bullets were fired to hit those four bad guys? And this one, mm-hmm. every one of those shotgun shells is used and does have an impact and effect. Am, am I right? I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's If it's not blowing apart the his his enemy's cover it's blowing apart his enemies period <laughs> yeah i mean and so and i really like one of the final shots of the film so now that sasha is finally dead for real this time uh nick symbolically uh drops his shotgun in slow motion no less i liked that just the way he drops that gun and we see it come to the ground in slow motion and we see his character uh walking away from the village to an unknown location and an unknown future. Again, I like to think that uh, this is Nikolai Rachenko from Red Scorpion uh, moving on to his next destination. I, I guess I'm curious. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Where do you think the character of Nikolai goes at this point? Do you think he goes back to L.A. working as a mechanic? I mean, what what does he do now that... Uh, now that he's finally gotten vengeance for what happened. Well, I think at some point he probably mutters to himself, fucking A. <laughs> but um, uh, other than that, I think, yeah, I think I legitimately feel like he would be a guy to immediately go back to, well, I guess I'm going to fix cars again. But would he do it in Russia or would he go back to L.A. working illegally? Well, I feel like since now he knows that he's got his revenge for real, he's actually saved somebody's life, I feel like he would be okay with doing it in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I've had a ton of fun with you, Brenton. Uh, The moment has come. I'm curious, because uh, I, I have a lot to say with my recommendation, but uh, and I have a feeling you're probably going to give this a wholehearted recommend, but I'm curious, uh, Brenton, does the Russian specialist, or the mechanic, whichever title you prefer to go have it go by, uh, does this film get a recommend from you, not just as a Dolph Lundgren film, but as a movie in general? What do you think? Yes, uh, I think if especially if you are even curious about how good DTV movies can be. This is like a top five DTV movie. Definitely. All right. Well said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, me personally, uh, yes. And yes, I think on both fronts um, as a Dolph Lundgren film, most definitely. I mean, this is Dolph delivering everything that fans would want. It's him playing the, uh, the quiet stone cold badass that we know he can play and excel at. Um, and it's also Dolph playing this character, but this time in a new locale. And I think with him in the director's chair, steering the ship, uh, Dolph is putting forth not only one of his very best films, but a solid action movie in general. Uh, while the story may not be anything new or highly original, this is Dolph adding his own spin and his own style to it. He adds some wonderful camera tricks to the proceedings that are fun to see stylized on screen. And the film just has some really, uh, really, really good characters. The film is violent, brutal, a little unsettling at times, sure. But it's also giving fans something that 
I think was refreshing to see in the action genre circa 2005 to 2006. Because if you remember around this time, Brenton, uh, action movies were still reeling from uh, the Matrix. I mean, it was kind of a really weird period for action movies because around this time, action movies were they were aping uh, martial arts stuff. They were also kind of still reeling from like the Matrix. And so around 2005, 2006, it was kind of a hodgepodge of of action around this time, don't you think? Yeah, you know, that's fair, too. And now you, especially when you bring that up, like the Matrix and stuff, I think that maybe the, one of the reasons I liked it at the time so much was because it didn't play to the whole we need special effects and the camera to whip around us as we do something slow-mo thing. Um, it played like a very... It had its own voice, you know, and I and I know that Dolph probably loved this more than anybody, but it it, it reminded me of when Clint Eastwood started directing, where yeah. he 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 understood his image and what fans wanted of him, and and delivered exactly that. Yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah, I mean, because this is. This is an amazing throwback to the 70s and 80s revenge grindhouse movies. I mean, this is this is in a lot of ways kind of a one of those grindhouse type movies. Um, and it really is, in my opinion, uh, it truly is a spectacle seeing a full fledged action hero like Dolph Lundgren try his hand at it. This film may not be ideal viewing on a date night. Uh, <laughs> but it is a, it is a film that I think is going to satisfy fans of Dolph, fans of grindhouse cinema or just fans of the action genre in general. Um, it is the ultimate guy's guy movie. It is one of Dolph's best movies. Uh, after a string of, let's face it, pretty weird films that Dolph did throughout the late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, that was not, this was not the best period for him. That late nineties, early two thousands era, this film put him back on track and this was a real treat to see. Yeah. hundred percent agree. So, all right, so Brenton, uh, before we wrap this up, before I let you go, um, go ahead and tell us uh, anything that you're working on, anything that you want to plug, any movies that you've seen recently. What is new? Uh, I'm still working on uh, uh, my my Cobra video, actually, but I just <laughs> did. I just released. Well, at the point that this comes out, I'm not sure, but I just released my 1964 uh, action retrospective, and uh, I hope anybody that is uh, into the uh, sort of chronological uh, exercise that I'm doing in action films is into that, but it's quite good. And uh, I don't know. Well, we got, I guess we'll we'll see what what the future holds. Well, I'm psyched for your Cobra video. I know that um, good things happen to those who wait, so uh, I've been waiting for that one. But uh, that that is going to be that is going to be fun to see. Right on. <laughs> so, all right, well, hey, Brenton, uh, thank you again very, very much. Um, I had a ton of fun uh, doing this uh, with you, and I know you uh, you agreed to uh, coming back once again to discuss another uh, another fun flick of Dolph's. This was not one that, well, he's not credited as director, but rumor has it that Dolph did in fact direct most of Diamond Dogs, and uh, so yeah, you'll be coming back to discuss that one with me, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the only thing is, we got a at this point. I think we've uh, you and I have established kind of a a cool little tradition. We just have to come up with a cool beer that would accompany 
I don't know if we want to find a, 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 a beverage that would accompany the film or Lundgren's character in Diamond Dogs. I don't know. Time will hmm. tell. We'll see. All right. Well, hey, Brenton, uh, thank you very, very much. I do appreciate it. Um, to everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And seeing as how the film The Russian Specialist ended with the song Cut Me by the Brian Scram Band, I felt that it was only fitting that we end this episode with a sampling of this very song. So, for your listening pleasure, is the song Cut Me by the Brian Scram Brand. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys all next time on I Must Break This Podcast.